Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 274 Fifty Shades of Geek. In this episode, taken from an interview for the KGNU public radio program Sacred Lines, two of the Buddhist geeks discuss what it means to be a modern Buddhist, how technology can complement Buddhist practice, and how geekery and meditation meld. This is part one of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. I'm Samir Rajabi, and you are listening to Sacred Lines, a collaboration between KGNU Boulder Radio and CU's Center for Media, Religion, and Culture. Today, we are speaking with Vincent Horn, founder of Buddhist Geeks, and Rohan Gunatilika, founder of the meditation web app Buddhify. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Do you mind if I just say it's not a web app? Yes. What is it? It's a mo- it's a phone a smartphone. A mobile app. Yeah. Okay. So first. We wanted to talk to each of you about how you conceive of Buddhism before we get into the different mm. technology that you've created around Buddhism. Um, well, Buddhism is interesting from my perspective because it, it is conceived in many different ways. Um, the way that I've approached it is more as a sort of inner technology, a way of transforming the mind. Um, now, that's a very Western and modern understanding of Buddhism. Of course, it, there are roots in the tradition that point to that. And yet, um, practicing it in a way where it's sort of a little bit removed from those, some of the historical cultural pieces is a new thing in a lot of ways. Um, So, I I basically approach Buddhism as a model which supports one in transforming certain patterns of mind. Uh, So, it's fundamentally focused on the interior subjective experience of the individual. And there are some very important ethical pointers toward how does one live a meaningful life? How does one interact without causing harm to other beings, to other people? Uh, And then in a modern context, there's all sorts of questions around uh, how does one interact with the environment, the world, ecology, etc. And those are big questions that, um, as a modern Buddhist, I ponder. I guess Buddhism is interesting as a religion in contrast to some other of the major religions around the world in that um, there's a, always a, a sort of open question. Is Buddhism a religion, a philosophy, a way of life, a practice? Um, whereas for Islam and Christianity, there's never a debate of whether it, it, it's a religion because because of what Vin said, it has this focus on this inner work, inner practice, which can be, um, doesn't necessarily have to come with the more religious trappings, but it can do as well. And so it has that flexibility, which is which makes it other 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 religions traditions do out there do that. But Buddhism is one of them, the most um, significant of which, which has that flexibility. So it's totally feasible to say that one is a Jew or Christian or an atheist and have a Buddhist practice of sorts, and that's quite interesting. Those definitions in mind and those conceptions of of Buddhism and and how to practice Buddhism. How would you define or would you define a modern-day Buddhist practitioner? Well, it's, it's, it's difficult to define a modern-day Buddhist practitioner in some ways because of how the modern context is so different depending on where you are. Like in one modern context could be I'm an urban 
you know, I, I live in New York City. I live an urban lifestyle. I work in an advertising agency. My life is really intense. I have a relationship, uh, no kids, etc. And the way I relate to Buddhism in that context would be very different than someone who maybe lives in like a rural area. Um, so it's very difficult to dis- define like this is what makes a modern Buddhist. I, I would say that um, sort of going back to a different question, which is what what is a Buddhist practitioner? And then we can add the modern bit later. So a Buddhist practitioner is someone who takes the whatever what has come before with regards to the tradition, the various traditions, and finds something within that or multiple things within that tradition and set of traditions which resonates for them and tries to make it work for them. And so that's the history of Buddhism as it's developed. Um, add the modern bit in, now we've got contexts and settings like the ad guy um, in uh, Manhattan, which is radically different to other contexts in which Buddhist practitioners have found themselves in. And that's what, that's what makes the modern Buddhist practitioner that they don't have a lot of um, history to fall back on or models to fall back on or how to actually make this stuff work and sing in the urban, relational, digital, modern life. So given that basic understanding that we now have of how you both conceive of Buddhism and people that practice Buddhism, Vincent, can you explain to us what Buddhist Geeks is in your own words and why you created it? Sure. Um, One way of describing Buddhist Geeks is it's sort of like an NPR program for tech-savvy Buddhists. Um, but it's a little bit more than that in that people aren't just listening to the content that we create for Buddhist Geeks. They're also gathering together more as like a practice community to get together, share ideas, uh, figure out how to do this whole Buddhist thing in the modern world. And so in that sense, there's a very real community aspect to Buddhist Geeks. Um, Part of the reason I created it was actually just as a side project while I was uh, finishing my undergraduate degree, uh, and I, I looked out into the Buddhist media landscape at the time, and I just didn't see certain conversations happening, in particular conversations with younger practitioners or teachers. Uh, and I also noticed that there were some fringe voices or perspectives that I had encountered in the Buddhist world that also weren't included in, let's just put it nicely and say, into the, the boomer Buddhist uh, media world. So a friend and I started the podcast in order to have those conversations, which we uh, didn't see happening. Um, and we just decided at one point, we, we have to do this because no one else is. And that's really how it started and really how it took off. Uh, I guess there are other people that also were interested in those conversations. Great. And Rohan, can you kind of give us a, an explanation as to what Budify is and does and why you created that? Sure. So um, Budify is a mobile uh, app, um, and there are lots of uh, meditation apps out there, but what's sort of special to Budify is that it's designed specifically for um, people to learn um, and practice meditation whilst on the go. So um, if you're at the gym, if you're traveling around town, if you're walking around town, um, the meditations are designed specifically for those locations. Um, So... Uh, what it does is what I call reverse engineers how meditation is normally taught. So typically you'll go to a class or course in a sort of uh, stylized, quiet environment with a teacher, um, say like a Tuesday night for six weeks uh, sort of thing. And then once you've learned 
the basics of the practice, um, which you'll be mainly practicing sort of at home quietly, um, on a cushion or on a chair, that sort of that sort of thing. Then the the invitation to that student is to then try and apply what they've learned to the rest of life. Um, Buddhify just starts the other way around and uh, teaches you meditation in the field, and so it, it reframes the the city you live in as a meditation space, as a space by which you can develop the qualities that mindfulness and meditation do allow. And so whilst the classes and courses are often very good, the reason I um, essentially made it was that there are lots of people who are interested in... Uh, meditation has um, got a good PR department at the moment. Like There's a lot of um, research and news and interest in it, and it's growing and will continue to grow. And so uh, I was uh, seeing and talking to a lot of people around my age who were interested in uh, meditation but there was always a but um, so that was interesting to me is that what is stopping that person go to that class or course um, and invariably it was to do with time or to do with perception that the classes were quite um, hippie let's call it hippie or woo woo as you North Americans like to say I like that phrase so I just I, so I took those um, two things of the woo woo-ness and the the time issue and so, and then thought well Given that uh, there's a, been a long history of audio meditations, and just started, just looked around at how people were listening to audio, which is uh, through their phones, walking around, um, why not uh, create meditations specifically for that? So that all I have to do um, is convince you to listen to Buddhify rather than Justin Bieber, which is a much smaller behavior change to going to a class or course, which you might not have the time to do and which you might have the time to do but feel that it's not your kind of place because the people there aren't don't look like you or talk like you um and so that's why i made butterfly and so does that lead to why you have the tagline on your website uh, a meditation app for hipsters not hippies yeah i do like a sound bite and so um but that sort of sums that sort of does sum it up in that there's a lot of cultural baggage that comes with buddhism meditation the whole spiritual thing and that's more an accident of history rather than an intrinsic thing to the to the practice um because of the generation of people that really touched that those that set of practices from asia and brought them over and really resonated with them happened to be in the counterculture movement of the 60s and 70s and so a lot of the western expressions of this stuff are imbued with those elements that aesthetic um and as someone who's whose experience of meditation practice has been in a completely different context of an urban sort of more, certainly more hipster than hippie, then uh, so I, I know that then it's not, they're not, meditation does not, it doesn't have to be like that. And so um, there's a demand and a clear interest in um, this stuff, but the supply doesn't, doesn't speak to the people who uh, are looking for it. And so that problem needs to be solved and Buddhify is one offering into that into that that's really great and you you've both kind of touched on our next question which is who is this technology directed at and and who cares about this site or this app and, and you you touched on you know the demographic and, and who yeah. you really target but and can, can I just say one thing which is um relevant which is Buddhify isn't Buddhist um it is and it isn't it is in that the content is heavily inspired and based on meditation in the buddhist tradition but it it doesn't have any there's nothing explicitly dogmatic or buddhist about it 
which is a, a nice benefit of what we spoke about before of how Buddhism has this fluid, flexible nature which you can take on and um, not have to name it as such. Um, and so people have asked, like, well, is Buddhify like a sort of stealth way to get loads of Brooklyn hipsters to become Buddhists? And um, that's probably the last thing we want. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting, I think, that how, because uh, we're seeing a lot of mindfulness and meditation practice being popular and um, where people are connecting with it are um, when it's presented in a way that doesn't have the, the religious stuff. You said that, that Buddhify is, although it's Buddhist-inspired, that it's not aiming to get turn the Brooklyn hipsters into Buddhists. Do you think that this app, in addition to sites like Buddhist Geeks, do you think that it's kind of a gateway into becoming Buddhist? Have you heard any yeah. positive... Yeah, so um, one of the objectives of Buddhify is to what I call open the, widen the funnel. So uh, of the th of thousand people who have tried Buddhify and have um, enjoyed it, for many that might just be enough. Uh, for some of those who really like it, they might then make the decision to go to... The, finally, they can feel that I can go to that class or course because I understand what it's... And I, that activation barrier is now uh, lower. Um, and for some people, it might open up a whole new thing, which is they uh, have, a, have an initial experience of looking into their mind and seeing the contents and seeing that there's a, there is an inner life which can be cultivated and explored. And then they start pulling at that thread and that thread ends up in uh, sort of a traditional Buddhist context. It might end up in a Christian contemplative context or in all sorts of contexts. So, yeah, so very much the, for me, it's all about this, this, this core idea of lowering the, the barrier to help people explore their inner lives. I'm agnostic as to whether people then go on and I don't um, recommend the next step. It's not like Buddhify doesn't say... Buddhify, the, the only next step it, it suggests is um, actually go and see someone face... To, go to something face-to-face. -face. If you like this, go to, and that will help you because this stuff requires support and, and guidance and, and an app is lim highly limited by what it can do in that. Um, but it does open that, that first step up very much so, yeah. Can you speak to that same question of, of who you think this technology is geared at in your community? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because part of, part of what Buddhist geeks and I think Buddhify as well are geared at are folks that are interested in their inner worlds. And what's so interesting, even with something called Buddhist geeks, many of the folks who listen to our podcasts and come to the conference that we do each year, they don't self-identify as Buddhists. In fact, they're very skeptical of that label. Uh, and I myself am very skeptical of any sort of identity that one can try to hold on to, which is one of the key premises in Buddhism anyway. Um, so it's interesting. We're really just we're really just throwing it out there. And I think people who are interested in it generally tend to be sort of tech savvy because there's a certain high barrier to entry. You have to know how to download a podcast and get on iTunes and stuff like that. Or have to, in the case of Budify, you need to have an iPhone app, you know, have an iPhone and be able to download an app. Uh, or an Android phone. So thankfully there, enough people know how to do that. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people that do, um, but it does tend to it does tend to mean that the people who get interested in these sort of things tend to be younger than the folks who would get interested in some of the other forms of Buddhist practice. And that's very much led by the the fact that of who we are and um, our own lives and our own ages and contexts and backgrounds, which is just normal. Yeah, you know, for 
almost any sort of offering. Yeah, exactly. But it's not normal for Buddhism. It's not. It hasn't been normal for yeah. Buddhism. So we're sort of taking the torch and running with it. Yeah, which is an inevitable. Like um, someone was going to do it, just happens to be us. We're two of the people who are doing it. Are there people who don't like what you're doing? Is there any kind of pushback? Um, I sus- <laughs> of course, there's always pushback and always people who don't like what, what you're doing. In the case of Buddhist geeks, it's a fairly progressive approach to Buddhism. Um, some of the folks who are involved in Buddhist geeks call it a postmodern Buddhism. And in that sense, people who are very wedded to a certain notion of how Buddhism has to look and how it has to be practiced and what sort of rituals are involved, what sort of relationship one has with the teacher or with the community they're part of, those folks, I suspect, uh, don't maybe appreciate how we're approaching things in a much more uh, wide-angle sort of way. Um, I wouldn't say we get a lot of like hate mail from those folks. They just do their thing. And then other folks that are maybe more modern-oriented, they... Um, you know, maybe have a model or system they most preference, and yet they're open to kind of hearing about and exploring other approaches. And for those people, I think there's often some tension when they hear of uh, approaches or ways of looking at Buddhism that are a little bit uh, tangential to their own uh, practice. And there's definitely some pushback, but I'd say it's a healthy pushback in the sense that their perspectives are being challenged. And it's not that they're sort of clinging to their idea and saying, no, no, no other approach is right. They're sort of just widening their kind of minds to include another way of looking at this. Um, and so for those people, we get a kind of healthy pushback. Um, and it's one that's quite constructive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on, for, on regards to Buddhify, I might tell you a fun story in that I was giving a talk at the Buddhist Geeks Conference last year. And... Um, I was, it was before the launch of Buddhify and I was talking about apps and um, uh, Buddhism and technology and I did mention Buddhify briefly and a lady came to talk to me afterwards um, and it clearly is like uh, press some button for her, this idea of contemporary technology and Buddhism as being some, some sort of cognitive dissonance that was inherent to the um, to Buddhism and she was she she had this idea clearly um, of what I was like, and so because I was because I was working in this way, and she was saying, "Oh, do you ever go camping? Do you ever go out to like spend time in nature?" And I was like, "Yeah, I went like two weeks ago. I was in Scotland doing some camping in the Highlands." And um, but and she she was saying how like she was just really she felt that um, it was almost like a caricature of the the sort of hippie generation meeting the idea of actually the idea that um uh because there's a there can be there can be a subtle anti-digitalness to certain generations and anti-modernness to certain generations and again they're tangling it up um with their spiritual practice and not and seeing them as being connected so it was this really striking exchange and then about six months later i got an email and she said, oh, do you remember uh, I've met you in the, the conference and I downloaded Buddhify and I'm, I'm loving it. It's, it's bringing me a, she's a very experienced practitioner, decades of practice, but the idea of urban meditation and practice in the city was new to her. Buddhify is not designed for people for, with ex- really long experience. It's much more of an introductory thing, but it, it had brought some value to her. And that was really, that sort of summarized um, a lot of this, the, any criticism that comes through or questions tends to be in theory. 
and then um but when you actually look at the try the product it's actually it is what it is um and it has integrity and it has um authenticity in it as well and so i think that's the um it's it's a com it's like a, any um uh often like when there's a a sense of that something's been offended um so whether it's an idea that technology and spiritual practice can't go together has been offended uh that often is just if there's a an issue with that people rarely then go and actually then actually try the thing so that was an that was an experience that was quite striking and and what's so interesting to me about this experience rohan's describing in this tension that we've often talked about where it's, it's sort of an intergenerational tension of technology mm. and spirituality not seeming compatible. The thing that I always go back to is if you look at the core Buddhist practice and what it's focusing on, it's all about transcending unhelpful dichotomies or dualities. It's this sort of traditional Buddhist term for that. And anytime there's a duality, anytime there's a sense of this versus that and they're completely opposed, there's automatically a struggle that ensues internally. And collectively, yeah. I, I summarize that as like if you, if you draw a line, you start a war, basically. Exactly. So there's mm. a this and a that, and then there's a war between them. Mm. So part of what we're trying to do, in some ways, is to to break down some of those dichotomies and dualities, and say, actually, it, it may or may not be the case that spirituality and technology are at odds. And if you look at the you know kind of emergence of um, you know the personal computer revolution, a lot of it was driven by very spiritual people who were doing LSD and practicing meditation. Steve Jobs was a f- famous for being a serious Zen practitioner. Of course, oh, before him, there was yeah, there was the Kevin Kelly's, the yeah, um, yeah, the Stuart Brands who have yeah, the sort of the relationship between hippie and hacker has been really significant in the story of the web. And so, um, it's nice to see this new emergence of I think of which we're one part of of the re-coming together of this conversation between spiritual practice and technology um, and how uh, we can actually use those in support of each other and then they're not, they're not intrinsically um, in conflict. And also, like, it is a generational thing and um, Buddhist geeks and Buddhify aren't meant to, to be for everyone. Like, um, and so there will be people who don't like it. Uh, or just not relevant for them. Like, for example, people with long-term Buddhist practice, would they know way more than me, and so they have way more than the Buddhify content. So it's fine that they, that they don't engage with it. Do you think that in kind of interrupting these false dichotomies or interrupting these binaries that have been set up that you're acting defensively, kind of in anticipation of that pushback of, of transcending that, that idea? of spirituality and technology not being able to go in hand, hand in hand? Um, I'd say sometimes I f- feel like it's a defense. And then most of the time I feel like it's an invitation actually for people to step outside of a way of engaging with these ideas where there is a feeling of being at odds. Because in my own internal experience, it's not at odds. And part of the reason is probably just because of our life situation, my life situation where I grew up uh, using computers, using technology, and being exposed to contemplative practices and searching for ways to to make sense of those two things together. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I get defensive and sometimes it's sort of like a, a, a personal thing. But most of the time it's just like, hey, you know, check it out. You, these don't, things don't have to be at odds. And when they're not at odds, it feels really good. 
so the next question I think that that we've kind of addressed um, from the outside, and it's it makes me chuckle the way that it's going to be asked. But how do geekery and meditation work together? Um, pretty perfectly, because geekery is sort of think of it as a um, uh, almost like an obsessive relationship to a, a thing. So you can be an architecture geek or a Apple products geek or whatever, um, a madman geek. Um, and for meditation and uh, mindfulness practice to really sing, it requires an element of geekery, an element of dedication, interest, socialization, because geeks are, by definition, I think, um, so my, one of my favorite definitions of a geek is someone who socializes around objects. So someone who spends time around people with similar interests. And that is totally essential for uh, progressing and deepening in uh, not just Buddhism, but other spiritual practices. And in this case, the object is sort of an inner object. Yeah. It's an object of one's so for Buddhist inner geeks, world. So for Buddhist geeks, the, quest, the object, I think, is the... Um, so the, the formal object, I think, is the, the podcast. But the actual real object is this question of what is it to be a... Um, contemplative practitioner in the 21st century and that's the question that convenes all those people so when you and um so for example like Vince said there's a buddhist geeks conference and there's quite a range of type of people there people who look are the sort of archetypal geek like the sort of um tech savvy sli slightly socially awkward person but then they also have like and like including us <laughs> including us have a sort of have of a certain age but then you also have people of all, all sorts of backgrounds but they they have this shared interest and so again it's like it's this question of like uh dualities like asking the question in, implies a duality but uh if you don't have the if you don't have for example like this idea of for, for buddhifies is the the duality is or the thing that people uh get caught up about is this idea of urban meditation of like um not just the technology but the fact of it being in the city and if that is your experience of meditation like as it is for me as someone who um, when I first started getting into meditation, I was doing a very intense, busy job in London. But that was my experience. And so there was no duality between the two. Uh, people who were asking me about it were creating a duality. They were bringing their own duality to it. But I'd learned, I was learning and exploring how to progress my practice in, in this stuff. The other interesting thing about the relationship between geekery and meditation um, is that geeks are often really interested in taking things apart and seeing how they work. Mm. And so that actually comes in incredibly handy when you're being introduced to a meditation practice. Because once you understand the basic principles and practices, um, and this isn't a traditional approach necessarily, but it's very useful then to be able to take apart the meditation practice and, and look at how does this function, how does it work, and how does it work for me? Because one of the kind of myths of meditation is that it's the same for everyone. And in fact, it's not the same for everyone. People relate to different techniques differently. They get certain kinds of results from certain things that other people wouldn't. And so being able to kind of deconstruct and understand the, the mechanics of how things work and then to, to actually rebuild it in a way that uh, optimizes its impact on that individual is an incredibly useful skill. And it may be one of the reasons I think that a modern approach to meditation may actually make meditation more effective 
for modern people. Um, mm. I could be wrong about that, yeah. but I suspect uh, it may be the case. And I think that is key around. I think you're right, Vincent. That's key around the the geek thing. What's the difference between what's the difference between a fan and a geek? A fan of Harry Potter just buys all the books. A Harry Potter geek writes fan fiction. They make their they make their own world and they um, make social groups around Harry Potter stuff. And that's that. It is this thing around making personalization, pulling apart, socializing, which I think are really important in sort of a, in a modern Buddhism. I wish you'd use a sexier analogy than Harry Potter to describe what we're doing. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> 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 Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.